great. Well, wow, that was beautiful. Man, you guys sounded amazing, and thank you, worship team, for leading us like that. Um, what a way to just enter into the presence of God through song together. We're continuing our series through the book of Joshua. Uh, we have now reached chapter 8. We're not going to stop in at every single chapter, but we are now in chapter 8. And So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can get those out. We're going to be in uh, chapter 8 most of the sermon. And if you have the Bible app, um, this, uh, the notes should be in there as well. If you go to the, um, the events page, I want to just bring us up to speed really quickly. Last week we looked at chapter 7. And chapter 7 is a uh, chapter about defeat. It is a chapter about loss. It is a chapter about sin. It is a chapter about punishment and about restoration. And I know that that sermon for some of us, it's like those are not the ones we really want to hear because no one wants to come to church and sort of have... Um, you know, someone point out to them that maybe there's sin in their lives or maybe that's some things that we've become comfortable with or that have become maybe even a pattern of our lives, suddenly someone would have the guts to say, have you ever considered the fact that maybe you should stop that or that that's something that isn't in line with what God wanted. And so if you haven't watched uh, last week's sermon, um, I would encourage you to do that because I do think that all of us from time to time need to be challenged to consider how we are living our lives. So we've started chapter 1, we went to you know, the chapter 7 last week, like I said, and then today we're in chapter 8. And so we're on this journey um, through this book, and what we want to do is we want to look really quickly at how, you know, in every single one of these chapters, what we can learn from that chapter, from Joshua, about how that applies to our lives today. So in week one, we looked at how the Israelites moved across, you know, um, into the, into the um, promised land, into the land of Canaan. Week two, uh, we saw their first obstacle. We, you know, they had to face the city of Jericho, and they marched around it. And, and if you don't know the story, you can go back and watch that. And then in week three, like I said, we looked at this defeat that they faced. When they went against, they, you know, they conquered Jericho, and then they went against a small little town of Ai, and... They were routed and, you know, they were destroyed. And so today, we want to look at what happens after sin. What happens after you've re uh, repented? You know, by now, in chapter 8, the sin has been purged from their camp. You may remember Achan and his whole family, you know, very brutally. They were stoned. They were killed. Everything they owned was, you know, destroyed. So sin, in a literal sense, had been purged from their camp. And we looked at what sin, that sin does not just destroy one person, it destroys all those who are connected. And so what do we do? How do we you know, you know, move forward after we have dealt with our sin, after we have repented, after we have found healing? And so today, I think it's important for us to recognize that the Israelites, they had lost ground. Do they just move on now and pretend that the city of Ai isn't there? Do they just pretend that that destruction, that that failure, that that sin, you know? Do we just move on and leave Ai alone and not go back there? Like, do we just, or what do we do with sin? What do you do about that area of your life where you sinned and you've asked for forgiveness? What do you do with that area of your life? Do you just move on from it like it doesn't? You know, like it's not there. Do you just try to play, you know, you know, you just play, you know, keep a blind spot to that area of our lives? Obviously, it doesn't work that way. 
the Israelites now find themselves having to make up for lost ground. And this is so difficult. For a football team, you know, the obvious when you fall behind, the Olympics are going right now, when a team falls behind, our favorite sport to watch is volleyball. And sometimes, you know, you'll get into a game and there'll be four points down and already the announcer's going, it's going to be impossible because both teams are so good. To get four serves in a row, it's impossible. You're not going to make up. To lose or to gain lost ground is incredibly difficult. Students who procrastinate too long and then suddenly they got to, you know, make an assignment, you know. Uh, just a little note of advice to all students. I know none of you want to talk students yet because school is out and you're happy. But, you know, one thing that you can't really procrastinate is reading because you just can't make up for lost time when it comes to reading. But if you've procrastinated, making up lost time is very, very difficult for the couple who spent too much money. And now you find yourself in a hole it's hard to catch up. And so for the Israelites and for us today, what do we do with the lost ground? What do we do with the impact that sin had on our lives? A most admirable quality of the lives of God's children is this, this desire to, call, to try again, to go at it again. We pick ourselves up. After we failed, we don't just stay there. We embrace God's forgiveness and his healing. And we live a life to the full. That's what we've been called to do. We seek to live for God and to depend on his power and strength, but we do fail. Every single one of us in this place, we do fail. So again, the question is, what do we do after the failure has been taken care of? How do we move forward after we have repented? And I think that this chapter really helps us address that. Are you expected now to live hanging, you know, with this thing just hanging over your head the rest of your life? You know, whatever your struggle was, whatever your failure is, is that your identity now for the rest of your life? Is this what you're supposed to now deal with? Well, hardly. Jesus restored Peter. And in the book of Acts, you don't see Peter living his, the rest of his life as this, I'm the guy who denied Jesus three times. No, Jesus, I'm mean, sorry, Peter lived the rest of his life as I'm the guy Jesus restored. And I think some of us in this place, and maybe watching online, you are living in the past. Your identity is the sin you committed years ago. And Jesus has forgiven you, and yet to this day, you would be like, I can't be trusted with that. Or I can't be around that. Or I'm no good at that. Whatever it might be. Because you have not allowed the restoration that Jesus has done in your life to become your new identity. Are you hearing me? That's what this chapter is about. A people who failed miserably, took care of the sin in their camp, and then went to where God wanted them to be. Sadly, often the church is much less willing to forgive than Christ is. The church is often much less willing to restore than Christ is. So how do we gain lost ground? How do we as a church, how do we as individuals make up for lost ground? Again, I believe that the book of Joshua chapter 8 teaches us a very, very important um, principle to doing this. And so let's take and let's read Joshua chapter 8 all the way to verse 20. And so 
I'll do my best to read it, but please follow along. We need to read this whole chunk because you need to see the whole context of what is being talked about. Joshua chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall go and do to Ai and take its king as you did to Jericho and its king except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourself. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set up an ambush behind the city. Do not go very far from it. All of you be on alert. And I and all those who will with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. And then you will pursue, they will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. And they will say, they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give you give it into your hands when you have taken the city set it on fire do what the Lord has commanded see to it you have my orders then Joshua sent them off and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai and to the west of Ai so Joshua spent the night with the people early the next morning Joshua mustered his army and he and the uh, leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai the entire force was that was with them marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai, with the valley of between them, with, with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about five thousand men and set them in ambush behind Bethel and Ai, to the west of the city. So the soldiers took up their positions, with the main camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. That night Joshua went into the valley. When the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all the Israelites let themselves be driven back before them. And they fled towards the wilderness. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out towards Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out towards the city the javelin that was in his hand. As soon as he did this, the men in ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back, and saw the smoke of the city rising up in the, into the sky. But they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites, who had been fleeing towards the wilderness, had turned back against their pursuers. Oh, that's a movie right there, isn't it? 
man, that's like the kind of movie you're like, yeah, if you're the good guy, if you're, you know, if you're on the Israelite side, man, you love that. If you're on the other side, you're like, man, <laughs> this stinks. How do we regain lost ground in your life right now? How do you regain lost ground? The first thing that you're going to see is so obvious, and that is we have to follow God's plan. Verse 1. If we are not living according to God's plan, remember they sent out these spies and the spies came back from AI and they're like, we only need a few people. But look at the, what God did here. He's like, bring everybody. You know, they went up before with like 3,000 and now it's like 30,000. It's, it's a completely different scene. If we are basing the decisions, our decisions, you know, just based on what we want, we become the authority of our lives. And we talked a little bit about this last week. And we will do what we think is best for us. And so we must line our lives up with Christ. We must live according to God's plan. If you go back to verse 1, he says, God instructs the people to not be afraid and to not be discouraged. So two important things then to lining our lives up with God's plan is, number one is do not be afraid. If you're going to line up your life with God's plan for you, then you cannot live in fear. Do not be afraid. The Israelites had sinned. They knew they had sinned. And so this sin would lead them now to fear. This sin would now lead them to doubt. And there's all forms of fear that we have. We may ask ourselves questions like, will I fail again? Can I even be trusted? What will people think of me? Etc., etc. There's no end to the list of fears that we may have, and fear can be crippling. I've met with people over my years as a pastor who are still paralyzed to this day about a fear that they have of something that they did a long time ago. And it's like they cannot release themselves of this fear. They fear that they can never be forgiven for what they did. They fear that they will never be able to forget what they did. They'll never be able to, you know, be anything beyond what they once were or what they once did. God instructs the Israelites here and he instructs us to release themselves of fear. You cannot follow God's plan if you hold on to the fear of past failures. The people were hesitant to continue their attempt to capture the promised land. And, and rightfully so, their fear led them to a lack of confidence. Their fear led them to a place where they were like confused about even what God's plan was for them. And, and God gave them his plan which hinged on them being willing to live by faith, not by fear. Can you imagine being one of those soldiers who just maybe a few days earlier, had marched against the same city and you got surprisingly defeated and now you're told to go march against that same city again? Can you imagine some of the uncertainty that you would have? And yet that's what God said to these people to do. Sin, you know, can bring a sense of fear and a loss of confidence. You may remember this is very similar to the story of Elijah. Elijah, you know, he had this amazing, you know, experience on Mount Carmel and fire fell down and consumed the entire altar and everything, even the water that they had poured on it. And God proved to Elijah that, 
that, you know, and to all the people that he was the true God. And then Jezebel finds out about what Elijah had done. He killed all the prophets of Baal. And Jezebel's like, I'm going to do that to you. And Elijah runs in fear. And his fear was very different. He hadn't lost the battle against the city. But in a way, Elijah had lost the battle for his own heart. And he had lost the battle of the heart of the people. They had turned from God. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14, the words will be on the screen. It says, God finds them in this cave and he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altar. They have put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me. So Elijah's situation is very, very different. And I'm bringing that up because not all your situations are going to look the same, but the principle is the same. Elijah had worked hard for God. He had a tremendous victory. God had answered his prayer. Everything had seemed to have gone right. And then one thing did not go as planned, and it was the breaking point for Elijah. And it sent him into a cave where he felt alone and very, where he was very much alone. And after pouring out his heart to God, God responds in this way. And this is mind-boggling in some ways. But I wonder if sometimes God would speak the same way to us today. You would think that God would come and say, Elijah, you're right, man. You have had a rough journey. You have had a rough go at it. Shame on those people for not treating you better. How dare they do this to you? But instead, God answers him. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. <laughs> Not what you would expect, is it? Go back, Elijah. Go back. He had walked 40 days and 40 nights. He was long removed from his past. He was long removed, far removed from where things had fallen apart. And now God says to him, go back the way you came. The Israelites had lost the lives of 36 fighting men at the hands of an army with a small, of the small city. And now they, like Elijah, are told to go back and fight again. But this time, it would be according to his plan. See, I'm not suggesting for one moment that Scripture is telling us to go back the way we came with the same mindset, with the same attitude, with the same motivation. No, this is completely different now. In both these situations, if you keep reading Elijah in 1 Kings, God is very clear. Hey, Elijah, you may think you're alone, but I've saved up all kinds of prophets. And here now with the people of Israel, God is saying to them, you may think that you lost, but I'm telling you, I'm giving you victory, but you have to go according to my plan. I'm telling you today, if you have won in an area of your life, you need to now go back to those areas of your life with the victory that Jesus has given you. You cannot live in isolation of areas where you have failed in the past. You cannot live your whole life now identifying yourself as what you once were. You've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. And you should not now live as if though you cannot have victory in those areas. God revealed to Elijah that he was indeed not alone. And God is revealing to the people of Israel now, I will give you victory. So let me ask you this. What is your greatest fear? And I'm not talking about social issues. 
I'm talking about your spiritual life. What is your greatest spiritual fear? Is it that you fear that God will hold your sins against you and not forgive you? Is it that you will never be good enough for God? That you will never be able to have his approval? Do you live in fear of disappointing God? Some other thing that you do, who you are, that you are a disappointment to God? You're not good enough? How could I have done that? Is your greatest fear that somehow your past will become your current? We have to face our fears. And if we've had sin in our past, we cannot just pretend it wasn't there, but if you have gone to Christ with this sin, if you have received forgiveness from that sin, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You are now someone you were not then. And we cannot live in the fear of what we once did. Look at the next thing that's totally in line with this. You go back to um, chapter 8, verse 1. They are also told to not be discouraged. The second part of following God's plan is do not be discouraged. We can only imagine the disheartment of the effects that failure can have on this army. They had failed. This little town of Ai had defeated them. These people who had lived in the victory of Jericho now dwelt in the defeat of Ai. However, God reminded his people that his plan would bring them victory. He instructed them to take the entire army to Ai. Everyone was to be involved. This was a victory that all of them were going to experience. No one was to be left out. Except the ambush, and you know the story. So we must remember that no matter our defeat, we can experience victory only as long as we depend on what God does in our lives and what God has already done in us. What's important to see here is before God sent the army, even before he told them that he was going to have victory, he already told them two things. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Why? Why is it so important to not be discouraged? Because discouragement leads to defeat. If I can be so bold, I would say to you, many of you, the reason you are failing is not because you can't take it on or not because you can't conquer the challenge is because you've already you started with discouragement the reason some of you are struggling in your relationships with parenting with your finances is not because the resources aren't there but because you are already starting from a place of discouragement discouragement will lead to defeat you will only give half the effort that you can because you are already discouraged discouragement sucks energy out of us and it will do so spiritually as well. Before God sent the army back, he said to them, I do not want an army walking back to Ai who is already in discouragement. We need an army that is confident in what God will do. Do you hear how this applies to your life? As a child of Christ, a risen Savior, we do not go into our areas where we have failed, discouraged, 
We go into those areas confident because Jesus says he will be with us and that he has overcome this world. He has overcome everything. So we are going into this in that mindset. We could list a whole ton of things that can discourage us. And so I asked you before, what's your greatest fear? So let me ask you now, what discourages you today? What is your greatest discouragement today? I'm not going to name a whole bunch of things, but I'll name a few. Maybe it's your relationships. The connection's gone. The love that you once felt, vibrant love that you had, is gone. Now it's a stale thing. Maybe it's your health. And there seems to be nothing you can do about it. You were given a hopeless prognosis. Maybe some parts of your body are just not working like they once did. Maybe it's your mental health. When will the anxiety go away? When will the panic attacks stop? When will I have joy again? Is there an end to this depression? Maybe it's your finances, your work. Maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's people. What's your greatest discouragement today? I can tell you this. Jesus is saying to you, release it. Release it. The city of Ai was waiting, but the people were told, you want to go to battle against the city of Ai? Get rid of fear and get rid of discouragement. Because God knows with both of those things in our hearts, victory is not possible. And if you're here today and you still fear the past that you lived in, what you were, no, you have been renewed. You are a new person. And if you are discouraged because you still struggle with some things over and over, get rid of, release your discouragement. Your victory will not come if we live in fear and if we live in discouragement. God told the Israelites, do not be discouraged. He wasn't telling them that it was going to be easy. He wasn't telling them that the battle was going to just, you know, roll over for them. They still had to do all kinds of things. So I wish I could promise you today that all of these beautiful words that so easily, are so easily said are going to be easy for you to live out. No, it's not. It's going to be a challenge. But it's a decision that we must make in our hearts to live with a new mindset, a new heart set that is focused on what Jesus has accomplished, not on what we failed in at one time in our lives. In John chapter 16, Jesus is speaking with his disciples and they're hearing him talking about leaving and, and they are discouraged and they're worked up and they're not sure what to do. And Jesus warns them that they're going to be scattered. They're going to be taken out of their homes possibly. Things are not going to be easy. Nothing's not a very positive outlook that Jesus gives his disciples. And yet in the next verse, Jesus tells them this, John chapter 16, verse 13, and I say these words to you today. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. Do not be discouraged. So let me ask you, very simple questions. Have you repented of your sin? If yes, then embrace 
the victory that you have. Stop beating yourself up over past sins. Stop living in fear that comes with failure, fear of what people may think. Stop living in discouragement. In this world, you will have trouble. You are going to struggle in some of the same areas again. We know that. But our hope is not rooted in what happens here. Your hope is not rooted in a doctor's prognosis of your health. Your hope is not rooted in where your finances are today, where your job is today. Our hope is rooted in Christ. Our faith is in Christ. And if you find yourself discouraged about things that you are struggling with here today, know that your hope is in Christ. And we must live with that as our mindset. We need to do what Joshua did with the people after they arrived and after they had victory. They didn't just you know, walk back into camp and like, wow, that was exhausting. And yay, we had victory. If you go to chapter 8, verses 30 to 35, you see how the people respond. There's a couple of things that they did after they lined their lives up and after they followed God's plan. One of those things was that they gave thanks. So remember to give thanks. Joshua led the people in a time of worship. They built an altar according to Moses' specifications, and they offered sacrifices as a sign of their thanksgiving for what God had done in their lives. It wasn't easy but God had led them. It's easy sometimes when we, when, you know, when we want to just kind of forget to celebrate. So I want to say to you, if today you've gone one day without struggling with the same sin, give God thanks. If you've had one day where maybe you felt better and you were more encouraged, give God thanks. Give God thanks in every circumstance, in every situation of your lives. Stop just worrying about how bad you were or what you were. Give God thanks for the victory that he has given you. Experience that victory. And I think that as you do, you're going to find your heart is renewed. And you're suddenly going to find that some of these struggles that you are dealing with are not going to feel as great because you are living in the victory. You are celebrating. You are being thankful for what God has already done in your life. And then the next one is you need to renew your commitments. Joshua remembered during the celebration the sacrifices. And he gave attention to them in his words. Verse 32 says, There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on a stone a copy of the law of Moses. And he opened up the law of Moses and he read it to the people. And in that, they, made a renew, they renewed their commitment to the law of Moses, to what God had instructed and commanded them to do. Some will read this chapter and see the regained ground as that which was overtaken you know, by overtaking Ai. But I think the real ground that was, over, that was retaken was not the city of Ai, but it was their renewed commitment to God, to being obedient to Him. Sometimes our tendency in life is to just fight against the thing we struggle with. And we forget that we need to first and foremost renew our commitment to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a little bit like, you know, we talk about this joke about this sometimes in marriage, you know, like, well... You know, you make your vows and then you, you know, you kind of just go from there. And you've heard this silly 
joke about the husband who doesn't tell his wife, you know, that he loves her, and then she says to him, why don't you ever tell me that you love me? And, and the joke goes, well, I told you, and if I change my mind, I'll tell you, you know? Like, it's, I think I butchered that, but I think you understand, and it's kind of funny, but I wonder if some of you, you told Jesus a long time ago, I will follow you, but you haven't said anything about that in a long time. When's the last time you recommitted your heart, your spirit, your life to Jesus? You're like, well, I, I don't need to do an altar call. I'm not asking you to do that, but I'm asking you, when is the last time you renewed your commitment to Jesus? You might be saying, well, things are going well in my life. Same question. When is the last time, just like a, a spouse wants to hear repeatedly, I love you, I love you, I cherish you, I value you, I'm so glad I'm married to you, I'm so glad I have you, I think it's important for us to hear ourselves say that repeatedly to Jesus, I commit myself to you again and again. So church, if we're going to regain, and as individuals we're going to regain ground that we've lost, we need to first and foremost line our lives up with Christ. We cannot live in fear or discouragement. Secondly, we need to give thanks for what he has done. And third, we need to make a commitment again and again, renewing our commitment to him. So like I did last week, I want to give you a chance to do that before we dismiss. Because here's what I know. We get on that road and life's going to get busy. By the end of the road, maybe someone slow is driving in front of you and you're already frustrated. And before you even hit town, you've forgotten most of this. So would you just right now, where you are, take a moment and just ask yourself, is my life lined up with Christ? Am I thankful? And if you need, recommit yourself to Jesus. Go ahead and do that. We'll just stand here and wait for you. Let me walk you through it, because it's important that we do this. Is your life lined up with Christ? And if not, ask God to lead you in that direction. Are you a thankful person? Give God thanks for the victory that he's given you on the cross. If you need to, recommit your life doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. It's just simply, Jesus, I am recommitting to living for you with my whole being. God, you've heard the prayers that were said in silence in our hearts. We just invite now the evidence, the work of these commitments to be seen be lived out. We thank you for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day.